Blessed are the gentle. As we are poor in spirit, as we mourn over our sin, we recognize that asserting our own will, having our own way, is the furthest thing from what we actually need. Instead, we need to humble ourselves under the will of God, accomplishing His purposes in His way according to His will. And it is the gentle who inherit the kingdom. It is the gentle who inherit the earth, not the forceful, not those who try to subdue others inappropriately, but those who come underneath the yoke of Christ. Blessed are the gentle. Then blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Welcome again to Grace Maryville Weekly, which is a podcast ministry of Grace Community Church located in downtown Maryville, Tennessee. The sermon you are about to hear is a part of a sermon series presented by Pastor Chris Reiser from the book of Matthew. Pastor Chris has sought to demonstrate that Jesus is the King, which is the overall theme of the book of Matthew. It is our goal to provide messages on Monday and Friday weekly from the pulpit at Grace Community Church to equip the saints for the work of ministry and to call everyone to repent and believe. Let's listen now as Pastor Chris works exegetically through the text. Please open in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. If you'll stand, I'll be reading verses 1 through 12, or again, reading through what has been known as the Beatitudes, the really the attitudes and the actions necessary to demonstrate the uh, your participation in, your citizenship in the kingdom of God. And I pray that this has been on your hearts and minds as to whether or not you are truly enjoying participating in the blessedness of the kingdom. Yes, the kingdom is coming, but the kingdom is also here. And this is how we're supposed to live. So let's be reminded again of those principles, and we'll continue on studying through them. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Please be seated. I'm reading currently an absolutely fascinating book called The Making of the Atomic Bomb. I'd be wondering, why are you reading that? Well, it's, uh, Elisa was reading a book about Oak Ridge, and I thought, well, I'd like to know a little bit more about how all that uh, fit together, what all that was going on. So I picked this book up, and it's a detailed history of the Manhattan Project, which resulted in the production of the atomic bomb in 1944-45. Now, what was surprising to me, however, was that the book begins not in the 1940s with a discussion of the specifics of building cities like Oak Ridge or Los Alamos, but it begins with a history of nuclear physics beginning in the 1800s. I know you're thinking, that's a book i got to pick up. The author, however, is seeking to demonstrate that the key component of developing the atomic bomb was an understanding of the nucleus of the atom. Until they understood what was going on in the nucleus, there was no possible way to unleash the power that was held there. 
Before the bomb could be produced, they had to get to the heart of the matter, as it were. Well, this morning, what we are studying is being pure in heart. And perhaps in a bit of an analogous way, we can understand that we will never make real progress in the Christian life until we get a biblical understanding of the nature of our heart, how it is impacted, and how the Word of God is brought to bear so that it changes, so that we grow, so that we actually become increasingly pure in heart. See, until we understand these things and what the Bible has to say about the heart and the necessity of the pursuit of holiness, then we will never unleash the power of purity in our lives. I mean, didn't you love what Lou Priola had to say when he came? The only thing he had to say essentially was, do what the Bible says. And then if you're not doing what the Bible says, analyze carefully how you can do what the Bible says and do what the Bible says. Why? Because the Bible enables us in every way to be pure as we need to be. There's no other outside source. There's no other way we're going to find purity and holiness. And yet, what the Bible does, the truths of the Word of God, they impact our heart. It's not just the external actions, right, of what we do, not just the words that we say. All of those things are informed by the heart. So what we'll see this morning is that life in the kingdom requires a continual growth in holiness as, demonstra- as a demonstration of the reality of our changed hearts and renewed lives. Again, life in the kingdom requires a continual growth in holiness as a demonstration of the reality of our changed hearts and renewed lives. Now, we've already seen several of the Beatitudes. We've looked at the, the fact that we need to be poor in spirit. Those who are in the kingdom are poor in spirit. You enter in that way, recognizing your bankruptcy. You continue to understand how far from God you are on your own and how, how great a necessity you have for his strength, his power, and his presence. And we looked at the fact that it is uh, those who are blessed who mourn. They mourn over their sin. They do not delight in it and secretly have places in their hearts where they hide it so they can enjoy it. Instead, they mourn over the fact that this is the, that their sin is the very reason that the Son of God had to die. And you enter into the kingdom again that way, recognizing that's what brings repentance when you mourn over sin, but we continually grow in our sensitivity to it. And I wonder if that's true for you. Has there been much mourning over these past weeks on the fact that you continue to sin and and that you see ever increasingly where those areas of sin are. Because where there is true mourning, then there is true joy. So blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the gentle. As we are poor in spirit, as we mourn over our sin, we recognize that asserting our own will, having our own way, is the furthest thing from what we actually need. Instead, we need to humble ourselves under the will of God, accomplishing his purposes in his way, according to his will. And it is the gentle who inherit the kingdom. It is the gentle who inherit the earth, not the forceful, not those who try to subdue others inappropriately, but those who come underneath the yoke of Christ. Blessed are the gentle. Then blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. A hard attitude which says beyond anything else, really beyond food or drink, as it were, as are my spiritual food and drink, I long for righteousness. It is my passion. It's what drives me. I want to look like Jesus because that's righteousness. It's not something separate to be conformed to the image of Christ and to love righteousness. Righteousness is not some kind of legalistic, uh, self-imposed or externally imposed standard. To be righteous is to look like Christ because he is righteous. And so we long to look like him. We long to be conformed to his image more than we long even for our daily food and our drink. We hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then we looked at the fact that blessed are the merciful. When you have these hard attitudes, when you recognize your bankruptcy, you mourn over sin, you, you, you humble your will under the will of God, when you long for righteousness, then you're able to be merciful. You don't vindictively long to see other people harmed. You want to see them relieved from the penalty of their sin, if at all possible. 
And so you long for God to change their lives. You long to be used of God in their lives. You long to dispense the mercy that God gives, to be gracious and kind to those who deserve punishment and to relieve them from the penalty of death. That's our longing. That's our desire as believers. We understand righteousness. We understand justice. Mercy disconnected from justice is triviality. It's it's drivel. But mercy connected to justice with an understanding of who Christ is and what he's done becomes a powerful force in our own lives to drive us to thankfulness to God and to presenting the truth of salvation to others. Well, when all of these things are true, and really we continue to move in progression, so we're poor in spirit, mourning over sin, humbling ourselves under the hand of God, longing for righteousness, exercising mercy. Well, what will happen is there will be an increasing purity of heart. And really, here is where we have the, the application of the hunger and thirst for righteousness. There has to be a longing for it. There's an exercise of mercy. And as we exercise these things, we grow in holiness. And there has to be continual growth in holiness for all who are in the kingdom. It's really called the perseverance of the saints. If you're actually in the kingdom, then your heart will grow in purity because the Spirit of God resides within it, and there's an inexorable, really irresistible force towards holiness that has been placed within you. It's not external to you. It is internal, and so it drives you towards holiness. Every true believer is driven towards holiness as something that is alive is driven to grow. If it doesn't grow, it's dead. If we don't pursue Holiness, if we aren't growing in purity of heart, then we aren't alive. That's the issue. Blessed are the pure in heart, joyously, thankfully, peaceful, resting in the favor of God are those who are increasing in holiness. So these terms, as we consider them, the pure in heart, pure, Catharos or catharos is the is the word, and really catharsis, we get our English word kind of flows out of that. It's the idea of being clean being free, being free from the guilt of sin, most specifically as we apply it here. So blessed are the pure, those who are free from the guilt of sin and from the presence of sin, or I would say, and we'll see ever increasingly. John MacArthur says the Greek term for pure was often used of metals that had been refined until all the impurities were removed, leaving only the pure metal. In that sense, purity means unmixed, unalloyed, unadulterated. And when we apply it to the heart, the idea is that of pure motives of single-mindedness, of undivided devotion, of spiritual integrity and true righteousness. Blessed are the pure in heart. And we do need to spend a moment on what, what is the heart. It's not the pure in emotion. You know, it's not those who, have, who, who purely emote. The heart is the, the entire inner man viewed as really the control center of the entire human being. It's the mind. It's the will. It's the affections. It is that what may, which makes up the inner person. D.A. Carson says the seed, the heart is the seat of man's collective energies, the focus of personal life, the seat of the rational as well as the emotional and volitional elements in the human life. Hence, that wherein lies the moral and religious condition of the man. So it's the combination of the mind, the will, the affections, and the conscience that make up the spiritual control center of the inner man. And if you look in Scripture, the heart is viewed in, from all different angles. And so you'll read one kind of where the heart focuses on the mind or the intellect. Sometimes the, the word for heart then in context focuses on the affections and the way that we pursue God, sometimes on our desires. But it encompasses all of that. And so we are to be pure. Our purity grows in all of those ways. It's not just, well, I'm pure in affection. No, I'm also pure in my mind, in my thinking. I'm pure in my desires. 
I'm pure in my conscience, as we will see, that, that the, the, the conscience which governs the, really, it's the rule keeper of the mind and of the heart, of mind and the will and the emotions. The conscience is pure. It has a proper standard by which to judge the rest of the things going on in my heart. So that's the heart. It is really all that I am on the inside. All of that then needs to be growing in purity. So I gave you a definition, a theological definition of purity and heart as we look into Scripture considering these words. So purity and heart is the sincere, single-minded devotion to God flowing from the heart which has been washed and renewed by the Holy Spirit, which results in the passionate practice of holiness. It's single-minded devotion. It flows from a heart that's been renewed, that's been regenerated by the Spirit of God, and it results in the passionate practice of holiness. You see, you might look at it like this. You hunger and thirst for righteousness. That drives you towards righteousness. But this particular beatitude focuses on your actual practice of that righteousness. It's not just a longing. It is an actual practice. It's not just a desire. It's something that you actually do. Christians are actually holy. They don't just want to be. I just want to be. You know, sometimes I, but the, the songs bother me. Lord, make me more holy. Or I want to be more holy. That's great. Let's be more holy. Let's actually accomplish that because believers can. This is not a pipe dream for you. In the kingdom, you are not being asked to do things that you cannot accomplish because you have the power of God. Now, the heart, says D.A. Carson, is not the place where we naturally expect purity. We tend to look on the outside. But Jesus demands purity right in our hearts. To be pure in heart is to essentially be pure throughout. Every part of us growing in purity. So let's look at the necessity of a pure heart. Let's just draw that from the text. Why is it necessary? And really, in each of the Beatitudes, we've looked at it in, in, from two different aspects. One is that a pure heart is necessary for entrance into the kingdom, just really as all of these are. All of these attitudes of the heart of the internal man are produced as the Word of God and the Spirit of God transform the heart, bring regeneration. And so it is true that in order to actually enter into the kingdom, to become a citizen, you must have a purity of heart already given you by the Spirit of God. So the heart, as we see in Scripture, is before conversion, is desperately sick. So a pure heart is necessary for entrance into the kingdom because our heart before conversion is evil. Jeremiah 17.9, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? A heart is, is, is a factory of evil, a factory of idolatry apart from God before conversion. Great illustration here would be the Pharisees. You remember what Jesus continually tells them, and he makes it clear in Matthew 23, their problem. They thought they could be pure on the outside without changing their hearts or out, without having their heart changed. As though somehow the, the, the dirty, sinful, evil, deceitful heart could produce truly righteous external actions. It's impossible. Matthew 23, 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and of the dish so that the outside of it may become clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanliness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Notice the word hypocrisy, a, a lack of sincerity. See, a pure heart is properly focused. It is a sincere heart, one that isn't divided. 
isn't pretending to be one thing while really being another. So he calls to the Pharisees that the inside must be changed. Their hearts must change. So the heart before conversion is sick. The heart before conversion is, is a factory of evil. Jesus says in Matthew 15, 19, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. He could have gone on every form of evil, really all evil that is, is exercised in the world flows out of the heart. And that's a good reminder to us. You see, the world, again, always seems to think that evil comes from outside, which really doesn't make any sense. Outside where? Well, it comes from the culture. The culture is a makeup of what? The expression of the internal hearts of men. And the idea that philosophers and, 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 and worldly religions somehow miss this, this most important point as though culture was something created by, by something outside of us, not created by the very evil of our own hearts, is a manifestation of the fact that they just don't get it. They can't understand what is really going on in the world. The fact that all of this evil is flowing from the heart. But of course, we know why evil is blamed by unbelievers on the culture or the outside. Why is that? Because they don't believe that the heart truly does generate those things. They refuse that. They refuse to believe that there's a true depravity of heart because then they'd have to make a change inside. It would actually have to be a radical change, a difference from who they are. So what the world focuses on is is conforming or reforming what? Culture will change governmental systems, will do these other things, and that will cause countries to change and people to change. If we just get the right environment, people will be fine because internally they're good. Which again, is, is, it, it's insane at the, at the very basic premise. But nonetheless, that's what men seeks to do. What God says is that you must have a change of heart. There must be a purity of heart before you can even enter into the kingdom. And this is what the Holy Spirit does. He cleanses the heart, Titus 3, 5. He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit takes the truths of the word of God, applies them to the heart, cleanses it, raises the dead heart to life so that we might repent and believe. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Ezekiel 11.19, speaking of the promise of the new covenant of the Spirit, changing the heart, internally making a change. Ezekiel 11.19, and I will give them one heart and put a new spirit within them. I will take the heart of stone out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. And Hebrews 10.22 really looks at this from a, a different angle, viewing it through the conscience, the part of the inner man, which is the rule keeper of the heart, which judges whether or not the heart is doing what is right. He says, The writer of Hebrews says, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So it is necessary for God to do the work of the transformation of the heart that we might enter into the kingdom. However, it is also true or it continues to be true that an ongoing purity of heart then, an actual practice of that purity that has been made possible through the regeneration or the renewing of the heart, that that is necessary for growth in the kingdom. Because while the heart has been renewed and we have become new creatures, there still remains in the inner man the presence of sin, which affects, continues to affect the heart. If I could give you an illustration, perhaps it would be like a a city that had been dominated by an evil government or a country. Well, the government has changed. The infrastructure has been renewed. And yet, the terrorists remain. They continue to try to gain access to the city. They operate sleeper cells within it. 
And so they must still be battled, and that battle still goes on in the heart, because that's the inner man. There's no other place for it to go on. The battle with sin cannot go on somewhere external to the heart. It's not demons attaching themselves to you and making you sin. The battle goes on in the heart because evil, sin, remains there, even though the heart at its core has been transformed. And this is often confusing to us because we read the Bible like, well, are we transformed? Are we not? We are transformed. Sin remains, continues to operate within our heart, and so we must guard our heart. We must watch carefully things that flow out of our heart still because of the sin that remains. So the heart is in need of guarding. Proverbs 4.23, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Guard your heart with all guarding. The renewed heart continues, must be watched over because of the sin that remains. And the only way we will pursue purity and grow in purity is if we carefully guard our heart from the sin that continues to try to influence it heart remains in need of refinement. 2 Corinthians 7.1. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit. Really another way to talk about the heart. Spirit and heart are often used as synonymous terms. We must cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit. Like, wait a minute, I, I thought we were already cleansed. We are, and we must do it. That's what the Bible speaks of it. Renewed and yet renewing. Pure and yet becoming purified. And so we must cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So there's a need, the necessity of purity in the kingdom is that the sin that is within us continues to try to exert its control. And then, as we see in our text, it is necessary to be pure in heart so that we might see God when he returns to finalize his kingdom. Growth and purity of heart demonstrates our citizenship in the, form, in the present form of the kingdom, and it guarantees that we will be able to see the king in his glory and his majesty when he returns again. 1 John 3. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God. And such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet appeared what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself as he is pure. The promise of the passage is, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. It is that very pursuit of purity of heart that guarantees that when he comes again, we will see him as he is, that is, as the glorious beautiful Savior that we long for instead of the avenging judge who will condemn us to eternal hell. There's two different ways to see God. Everyone will see him. We want to see him as those who are blessed members of the kingdom. We want to see him in relationship. We want to see him in right relationship so that we might see his beauty, see his glorious majesty, rather than simply his judging vengeance. That's the sight that we need. Purity of heart is what brings it. Let's look at the cultivation then of a pure heart. How are we going to continue to pursue this? If you're in the kingdom, the Lord has transformed your heart. He's washed it. But the very reality of your being in the kingdom will be evidenced by an ongoing pursuit of a heart that is continually growing more holy. So how will we do this? First, we, will, we must be engaged in prayer for God's work. Prayer for God to work in the heart. You see, Ultimately, purity in the heart is the work of God through the Spirit. We are commanded to do this.
Thank you for joining us again on Grace Maryville Weekly. These messages are just a small collection of sermons that have been presented at Grace Community Church in downtown Maryville, Tennessee. If you would like to learn more about Grace Community Church, where Pastor Chris serves as an elder and pastor, please visit us online at gracemaryville.org. Again, that is gracemaryville.org. There, not only will you be able to find out more about the many ministries at Grace, but you will also be able to access a full audio archive of messages not only presented by Pastor Chris, but also messages presented to our women's ministry, youth ministry, and college-aged ministries, as well as the SOLA and Essentials Conferences hosted at Grace. We invite you to visit us online, and we hope that you will join us again next time as Pastor Chris continues to exegetically work through the book of Matthew. Until then, remember that Jesus is the King, and the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ.